Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. You're kind of legendary. Uh-huh. Oh, no big deal. Or I have a show. Dad Joe, he also has a show called Legendary. Uh, David is a beautiful friend, uh, most importantly to me. Uh, just so grateful for your life, for your work, and that I believe that your journey is the story of good news, that you are telling stories to millions of people around the world every single week, um, what people are seeing, what people are known, what people are celebrated. Um, in case you don't know David's work, he has a little show called Queer Eye. It's a small one on Netflix. Um, and so, yeah, it's good stuff. So set us up. I'm not going to get off the stage because we're going to do, yeah, do, 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 do a thing. We're going to do that thing. This is we a, got a thing together today. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm emotional up here. You know, I, I talk for a living, but this is important, um, especially you, Dad, back there in that story that you told. Because my interesting personal story is that I, too, am a dad. 12 years ago, through <laughs> one there and one in the back, selling jewelry, by the way. Oh, that's uh, my announcement. Pause. Commercial pause. break. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Olive and Danica are selling jewelry in the back. Why? Because they're awesome. And so we want to make jewelry, by the way. Pride and bracelets. Yes. yes. So purchase that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the reason I, I wanted to tell this dad story is that um, 12 and a half years ago, uh, my ex husband, because yes, the gays, they get divorced too. Um, <laughs> you believe, surprised how many times I have to stop. Yes. We were gay. We got married and divorced. Yeah, and we, yes, step parents. All the things. Anyways, um, <laughs> gestational surrogacy and IVF, two beautiful girls, twin girls, uh, just absolutely light of our eye. But life happens. And when they came, um, I hit a wall. I hit a scary place in my life. My isms came out because I was scared to put my darkness, my Southern Baptist sinful self into them. And I had a moment of of complete spiritual bankruptcy. Um, Divorced, little babies, two years old, getting divorced, dealing with my alcoholism, my addiction, fighting, just searching for something that would help ground me. I had a call from someone said, hey, come on down to a church. And by the way, it's kind of the, the, the uh, Goldilocks story. None of these beds are bad or wrong. It just happens to be the ones that I tried. And I, I ended up getting invited down to Hillsong. And I went down to Hillsong, right, of hip, cool people, skinny jeans, tattoos, and rock star lighting. <laughs> Jesus was there. It was coming. It was beautiful. And I dove in. And I dove in. And it was so beautiful because I looked around and I saw, oh, yeah, there's guys like me. There's there's some gay guy. Yeah, it's this hip environment. It's cool, and I didn't ask any questions. I just went, raised, connected, felt part of. And then it was Mother's Day, about a year and in, and I dropped my kids off at Sunday school. I dropped them off. Something told me to turn back around. I just turned around to the youth pastor. I said, Hey, by the way, my kids they they don't have a mom. Uh, but, uh, you know, they can make a card for grandma, for nana, no big deal. Everybody has a mother. Well, I 
actually, that's not true. I said, gestational surrogacy, my, you know, modern miracle of science. The world is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know we teach the Bible here. Whew. Yeah, I do. Go Jesus. Yes. A's for Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, honor thy you're not going to say this. Honor thy parents, right? Honor thy parents. Not my mother or father. Yeah. So in this moment that I had found healing, that I had found connection, I had to take my children's hands and walk away. And when I walked away, I was a daddy just looking for a place to take his children, to raise my kids where they felt loved and seen and whole. Because the 11-year-old me that sat in that Southern Baptist church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and was told that he was going to burn in hell and wasn't good enough for being who he was. And I left Hillsong and I went to the Dream Center. And at the Dream Center, all hell broke loose. It was, it was so painful there. And from there to Mosaic, and Mosaic to Oasis, and Oasis to Church Home. Each of them serving a purpose, each of them good, each of them healing me in different ways. But then I got a call from Charles. You all may know Charles. He sits up here on the piano occasionally and just brings heaven to earth. And uh, he said, hey, and introduced me to this Facebook group said, there's this church, they're affirming. I didn't understand the word affirming. I was like, what do you mean affirming? Well, it's not just like, hey, yeah, all are welcome. Don't ask, don't tell. It was none of that. It was, come, bring your family. Be celebrated by Corey. Listen to a pastor who tells his truth and shares his vulnerability and loves without any judgment, unconditionally. So that's when I joined the cult here. I'm an Enneagram <laughs> 7. I, uh... Can we put that QR code back <laughs> up there? Again, we believe in 30% giving around here. Um, and, and, and by the way, um, the Enneagram 7 enthusiast is what that is. Um, the enthusiast. I got to become a part of a place where I could bring my kids and sit with my daughter, two daughters, there she is back there, and more importantly, realize that this is home. This is what it truly means to be home, to find a place where I get to call in Chelsea and Katie, wherever you are, and, and Micah, and, Stacy and Candace and Crystal, my posse, Carissa, I know you here. I see you. I know faces. I know Frankie. I haven't had this in my entire life. And it's the beauty of New Abbey. I hope you all find the same joy here that I do. That's it. I, 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 I am such a bromance with this man. I'm so in love with him. I'm not into that. Yeah. As an Enneagram 3, I hate the spotlight. And so... <laughs>
difficult for me. Uh, we got a lot of storytelling to do today. We're yeah. going to have some fun with some things. Uh, but we believe in conversations here because we believe that God is found in each and every one of us. God is not found uh, in the person who has an MDiv theological debt. Uh, God is found in all of our lives. And so we're going to have some conversation time with one another. Uh, find three or four people around you. I would Before, I would say if you're comfortable, but now your masks are off, so now deal with it. Find three or four people around you. Uh, online, we're going to break you out into some Zoom groups, and we're going to answer this question with one another. God is? Enjoy. My wife and I, we have three little kids, Caden, Bryce, and Bella. They're seven, six, and four. So we're already in the process of talking how babies are made. Um, and so we bought some books, and we're having the conversation, right? This is a penis. This is a vagina. This is sperm. This is an egg. There's different kinds of families. There's surrogates, all kinds of things. Uh, my wife bought all these books, and then we noticed like two weeks ago that some of the books were missing, and I didn't even think anything of it. And her and I were out of town, and then all of a sudden, I guess, my, my oldest son, he had taken the books and he'd been reading them in his bunk bed at night. <laughs> and so he asked my nephew, he was watching them. So I read in the book that I was made because my dad put his penis on my mom's vagina. <laughs> and my nephew's like, uh, yeah, let's talk with your dad about that. <laughs> and so the other day, we're driving, and Caden just brings it up, and he says, so I was reading the books, and I found out that, that for, you know, for you and mom, we were made because you put your penis in mom's vagina. And I was like, oh. And then my middle son was like, you put your penis in mom's vagina? And he says, how does that work? I was like, well, like Santa Claus, I'll never lie to you, so yes, I do. And this sounds like a conversation we'll have over time. And then we talked about, okay, but it's a sperm and an egg and different people, you know, different things, stuff like that. And so this morning we're having breakfast for Father's Day and all my kids were thanking me for different things. And then my middle son once again says, and thank you, Dad, for making us with your private parts. Amen. You're welcome, I said. You're welcome. What does that have to do with my sermon? Nothing really at all. It's just a good story to tell. And we got a long conversation ahead, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. God is a woman. God is huh? Fem. God is love. God is peace. God is huh? Everything. I like it. I like it. God is period. I like it. So God is good, and I believe that. But as we go through these processes of constructing, deconstructing, and reconstructing, so many of us heard these phrases like God is good as a kid. God is good. And all the time. You know that. It's locked in there. If you didn't grow up in church like these people are weird, we are. <laughs> and you will be weird soon, too. Welcome. 
But we say things like God is good all the time, all the time God is good, but is God good? Is this story good? Is this story weird that God is good and God is loving and God is gracious? But you're depraved, you're wretched, belly buttonless people in a garden talk to a magical snake and we're all screwed because of it. There's some weird stories going on here that are confusing. I'm not mocking it. What I'm saying is we've been given information that sometimes juxtaposes with one another, right? It doesn't always fit. And so that's the construction that we've been given. We're deconstructing some things. And so we need to pick up in new ways that God is indeed good, that God is mother, that God is woman. And there's a yin and yang. What if we need God to be father still too? What if we need the masculine as well? What if we need all of these things to tell a fuller, bigger story of who God is? And so today we're going to look at Jesus' most famous story about a good father, and we're going to tell some stories with one another as we think about God is good. And what I want to do is I want to tell you some things up front for where we're going. Instead of like telling you all the stories and at the end, we're going to like get to some application in three points. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. God is good, I think, for three specific things that we're going to see in this story. And then in the story, I want to see it in David's story and what we're going to do together is that I believe God is generous. That's what makes God good. There's a phrase that I was given as a young man that I loved that if you take a million away from infinity, you still have infinity. And that's the nature of God's love. That as human beings, we live in such a world where we feel like things are so finite and so limited. And if this person gets love, that I might not have love. Or we live in a world of limited resources, but in God's incredible, endless, boundless universe, there is infinity out there to be offered. Grace and unconditional love that meets us exactly where we're at. And so we'll see stories of generosity as we move forward this morning. God is good because God is surprising. Many of us grew up with a God who was rigid, operated in very specific boxes, God was only good within these parameters of life, and then the rest of it, we didn't know what to do with it. That we weren't good always at integration in the church. I don't say that to bash the church. Maybe we just didn't know better. I don't know what the thing is, but you know what we have now? Google, <laughs> social media, just opportunity. Look at this diverse, beautiful community. We have experience to share with one another, and because of that, we have an opportunity to be surprised by God in new ways. We just know that the world is not flat. There's not edges to this thing. There's an endless expanding universe out there, and that is true of science, that is true of God, it's true of reality as we know it. So God is good because God is generous. God is good because God is surprising. And I believe God is good because God is compassionate. And many of us grew up with a world where God was not compassionate. God was angry. God was mean. We lived in fear. We even like praised that God was angry. We got a wrathful God out there, church, right? This God can't even look at sin. You're like, but I thought I was the sinner. Like it's weird mixed messaging, right? You're loved by God unconditionally, but God hates the side. You're like, what? I don't know what that voice is. Actually, I do know what that voice is. It's my aunt's church pastor Duke. It's a whole other story. But... Um, <laughs> They were the only 200 people on planet Earth going to heaven. Good for them. Like, that's a good gig, right? Sign up. They're never going to listen to this. So I'll say whatever I want. Um, I don't think they believe in technology. That's why they're not going to listen to this. But 
God is good for all of these reasons. And so what we're going to think about this morning is that God is good because God is generous and God is surprising and God is compassionate. And I believe that in the stories that Jesus shows us. Here's what Jesus came to do. This is interesting, by the way. Look in the the Bible. Jesus never says, I came to die on a cross for your sins. How many of you, that was the story you were told of why Jesus came, though? Google it. Jesus never says that. That's fascinating. That's very fascinating. Jesus came to show you what God is like and who you are as a human being. Jesus is the incarnate one. Jesus is fully God, fully human. So in the stories that Jesus shares and in the life that Jesus lives, Jesus shows us who God is. And so we're going to look at a parable today of Jesus to see that. And as we do that, hopefully what it does in us is it allows us to remember and reflect about how God is good in our lives. That we're not learning concepts or theology, we're seeing and experiencing God through our own lives, through our own relationship. And I believe and know that God has been generous in everyone's life here, that God has been surprising at times that you thought that God was rigid. And in the times that you thought that God was angry or ashamed or giving you guilt, actually God was compassionate. And so we're gonna hopefully let God off the hook a little bit today and see Jesus tell a story about who God is. And to do that, we gotta talk about some things. We're gonna remember and reflect. And if we can remember and reflect, then we're going to talk about corn-fed boy. And if we can talk about a corn-fed boy, then the Cincinnati Zoo. And if we can do that, then the Big Apple. And if we can talk about the Big Apple, then Woolworth. And everybody knows the Yale Club. And if we can talk about the Yale Club, then Private Eye. And if we can talk about Private Eye, then God's queer eye. Of course, American. So that came and left, and we have. 12 minutes. So, follow along with me in Luke chapter 15 as Jesus shares these words. Right before this, Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep, and the story says that Jesus was hanging out with the sinners and eating meals with them, and that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the pastors and the priests are like, well, that's not who God is. And so Jesus is always surprising us even in the context that Jesus shows up in. That whenever somebody tells you that God is this, if God is rigid, angry, fearful, mean, say, show me that in Jesus. Show me. Show me a story where Jesus is that, and you won't find one. So Jesus shows us something different, and the story goes like this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Already you should be surprised if you were a good Jew living in Jesus' day. Because the man had two sons, and it was the younger son who came and asked for the estate. In the ancient world, in Jesus' time, you never would ask for your estate because you would only receive your estate, estate at the death of your father. So already something interesting is going on here. And what we see is that it's the younger son who's asking for the estate. Usually it's the older son who would get the estate first because the older son was entitled to a double portion. Double portion fans out there, I know. And so, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, a lot of times you've heard this story about the son was this wretched sinner and ran away and was going to experience this race of God. What are, you, what are you surprised about in this story? The father never stops him. The father doesn't say, well, you know, in ancient times in the culture that we live within, sociologically and anthropologically speaking, you shouldn't ask for your estate because that would mean that I would have to die. And your younger, older brother should be receiving the estate first because he receives a double portion. Am I right? 
No. The story is he went. He was generously given all of the wealth that he needed to go deconstruct, maybe, to go figure it out, to go take a risk, to go live into imperfection. It's interesting that God is much more open to the movements of our lives than we've given God credit for. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods, and the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. There's another surprising moment that comes up. He recognizing, maybe my father's different than I gave my father credit for. Maybe there was something good in the places that I had just deconstructed. Maybe I had left something over there thinking that I would find something better, but you know what? I still came to church on a Sunday morning when I could have had mimosas because there's something to this story for me still that is transformative and healing. And so he said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The son did what any of us would do or what we were taught to do. We felt guilty, and so we made our speech and our plea to say how sorry we were. And what we'll be surprised with and the generosity we'll see is how the father didn't care about the speech, was just interested in the person and the relationship. The corn-fed boy. Picture it, 1981, Cincinnati, Ohio, cornfields. I'm 14. I've been struggling. I've been told, as the good boy that I am, that I'm going to burn in hell, that I'm a bad child, that if I don't repent, how many times I laid on the ground praying for God to not make me gay. <clears throat> but at 14, I kind of came into myself, and I met a boy. And that boy was older and said, on the first day of sophomore year, 14, I had turned 14 in June. Let's, let's skip school. Let's go to the zoo. We skipped school, and we went to the zoo. We hung out all day long. I was in awe. I was this cute boy. I was 14. I was trying to figure out who I was. And there was a problem at the school. They had a problem with truancy. And we got caught. Now, that good little boy, sophomore class president, lead in the school play, football, on the football team, worked for the principal as his assistant, was in student council. They decided to use that little boy as an example for truancy. Removed all of those curricular activities. No longer the sophomore class president. Off the football team. Expelled for two weeks. So we had a really great idea. I had $5,000 that someone had given me for birthdays along the way. He had 10. So we bought airline tickets like 14-year-olds do. Packed everything we owned. And when I tell you everything, I mean everything. All my bags, six of them. I was working at a veterinarian office. I had to be there at 6 a.m. He came at 5 a.m., took all my bags, put them in the car. I went to work. 
I wrote an eight-page letter to my parents. We went to the Cincinnati airport, and at 14, I left home and flew to New York City. JFK. We got off the plane. We got into a taxi, literally bags, just overflowing with everything we own. <clears throat> Pull into Times Square, check into a motel right in Times Square, ask the front desk guy, where can we live? He's like, eh, my buddy's at the Belvedere Hotel, West 48th and 8th. They have a studio. The next morning, we got up and we rented an apartment, a studio on the 23rd floor of the Belvedere Hotel. That's how we got to Woolworths. You didn't say Woolworths, right? It was Woolworths. Everyone knows Woolworths, yeah? It's like the old CVS, Woolworths, yes, right? Times Square Woolworths, $5,000. We furnished an entire studio apartment. Literally couches and curtains and silverware and cups because we weren't going home. I was never going home. I didn't have to go home because I was now free. I was able to be me. I was able to be this 14-year-old who was going to own the world here. Now, most of these stories turn out like, hmm, the kid was on the street turning tricks or doing something that, unfortunately, runaways do. No. I got up the next morning and started looking for a job. Again, God, doors opened. I end up at the Yale Club. The Yale Club. Does anyone know what that is? Yale Club for graduates of Yale. It's a very, very elite private club. In that club, you uh, eat, you go to the gym, you have you know, your massages, you do everything, but it's all Yale graduates. I get a job at 14 as a bar boy. I'm serving cocktails <laughs> at 14 in New York City. And by the way, I'm realizing my kids have never heard this story. So <laughs> I just dawned on me, <laughs> surprise, uh, daddy, the 14-year-old runaway. Um, anyways, uh, the Yale Club uh, ended up making me some good money. Mind you, remember the cute boy that I flew with? He got scared and flew home one week after being there. I stayed at the Belvoir Hotel by myself, getting up every morning as if nothing was different. Got dressed, put my little suit on, went to work. And in that experience for me, I, I was feeling okay. I was feeling confident. I show up to work one day. And a woman says, hey, David, come here for a second. I, I got a call from Sunday saying he's your father and you're a 14-year-old runaway. Can you just do me a favor and run down to the locker and grab your ID for me? Turn. I go into the stairwell. And as I go into the stairwell, I look up. And there's two men in suits at the top of the stairs. And I start running. I start running as fast as I can, and they start chasing me. And I'm running out the building and through Times Square to the Belvedere Hotel. They were the private detectives that my parents had hired. They had finally tracked me down. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was. You're like, you're in it. <laughs> yeah, I was in your story. That's yeah. a good one. I'm literally hearing people go over here and go like, oh, shit. <laughs> This is real. This is a real story. Yeah, it's a, it, it is. Um, so Jesus. Let's go back to the Jesus story. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that's a clean transition. We well, practiced that one, yeah. 
So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Everybody thinks that the story is, I did something wrong, I ran away, I'm a horrible person, this is a story that I was given, but maybe you were just figuring things out. Maybe there's a reason that you needed to get out of Cincinnati and that you needed to go to New York. Maybe you wanted to be seen. Maybe you wanted to be celebrated. Maybe you wanted to figure out something different in who you were. What if the story is not always you're bad? What if the story is just you're a human being on the journey? And that you think that you've done something bad because someone has told you a story that way. But look how God responds. How the Father responds is filled with generosity, is filled with compassion, is filled with surprise. It's not the son who's running home. It's the father who's running out to the son saying, this is who God is. This is what God is like. And if anybody tells you different, say, well, that's not what Jesus told me. So the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, right? He gave the speech, but, I love this but, but the father said to his servants, you're right, he is a sinner, and he did do all these things. No, he says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, a sandal on his feet, because when you take a million away from infinity, there's still infinity. There's endless love here, endless compassion here, endless grace here, endless kindness here. This is who God is. And so bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. It wasn't about some version or narrative that you were given that you had to live into. Apparently, God is okay with the imperfections of our journey as well. And so they began to celebrate. 15 years, 18 years to be exact later, I was in Boston, Massachusetts. I had met my husband then, father, daddy to Papa to Ella and Olive. And in Boston, on a, on a fall day, tell a quick condensed story of this, I walked into an art studio, it was open studios with, with Papa, with Michael. We walked in and as we walked in, the room went to a weird hush. There was a woman in the middle of the room berating her husband, literally destroying him. Look at you, why do you look like this? You look horrible, why can't you look like them? And she points to the back of the room and these four very well-dressed gay men with glasses of champagne and cheese came across the floor. And they're like, no, 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 look at you. You look good, just a little tuck here, the belt, the hair. No, no, ma'am, we don't tear down, we lift up, we love. Confidence breeds success. And they, they loved him and they hugged on him and I stood and watched this whole thing. The blood drained from my body and every hair stood. And I turned to my partner then and said, did you see that? That was like the queer eye for the straight guy. And as the words came out of my mouth, I knew that God had made me a vessel, not a creator, not a man who was supposed to go become a reality TV producer, but someone that had a message. Someone that was told, this is what I need you to go and tell. That gay, straight, doesn't matter. Whether you like shoes or football, doesn't make you straight nor gay. All of these things bring us together. In that Queer Eye story, um, I 
did manage with Michael to create a show called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. As that show started to become a worldwide phenomenon, global, international, uh, 170 countries all over, I came into my 15 minutes of fame. I happened to be at American Express having a moment, meeting with the, the presidents, and they said, listen, we're opening up this new thing. It's an open campaign. We really want you to be the spokesperson for American Express. The do you know me guy, right? If you remember those commercials, they used to be, they used to be big. I think we had a we picture. A Come on, yeah. you got to show the photo. I look really cute, I think. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Do you know me? Um, I got this gig poster, uh, uh, billboards across the world, New York City, Times Square, billboards, commercials on the radio ads, the works. I would go into the airport and people were recognizing, oh, you're the queer eye guy, you're the queer eye guy. And they asked me to come and give the keynote speech to the president of American Express during my, my tenure as the do you know me guy. I stood in the dining room of the Yale Club with 300 American Express executives. And as I came up to the podium, God said, don't give this speech. Tell them your story. Tell them what that 14-year-old boy who was scared of everything was doing right now, that you were here telling that all things are possible, that everything that you've been through, the pain, the heartache, and the hurt were for a purpose. And that purpose was for his greater glory. And I stood up there and I shared my story. And I've never had more grown men crying come up to me and say thank you for sharing that story and letting them in to my story. And ultimately, my story is simply this. All of those journeys, we've used a filter at Scout, transformation through information, told with comedy that has heart. Every day, we grow and we transform and we share with each other and we lift each other up. And in lifting each other up, we get to laugh and we get to cry along the way. But today, I get to stand next to this man and be vulnerable and share my story and hear your stories and know that all of us, just as Corey said, are loved just as we are. You can clap for that. And so we'll end with Jesus, in Jesus' queer eye moment, as I like to call it. At the end of this parable, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, right? They were at the cocktail party, and he had a certain way of believing how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to operate. When he came in near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitute comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And then my favorite line in the Bible. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That the story for all of us is that the stories that Jesus was telling 2,000 years ago, the stories of our lives now, is that God wants to give us a bigger perspective of what's going on. That God wants to remind us that sometimes God shows up in incredibly surprising places. You thought you were just at the cocktail party having some wine and cheese, and then you saw something in a new way. You never thought that that risk that you would take would be a story of celebration and transformation and change, that you ran away as a 14-year-old kid. And how did you know that somewhere later in life that God would be so generous and that God would celebrate you in front of 300 American Express executives or whatever your version of the story is? But you keep telling your story and you keep living into this generosity of God. You keep being open to the surprises of God and you keep being open to the compassion that God has for you because you do not know when other people will need to deconstruct and reconstruct in their own way. Then maybe they have a version about how the Father is supposed to operate. Maybe they have a limited perspective on who God is. And what they need to hear is that they too can be celebrated, that they too can be fully seen, that they too can be fully known, and that they too can experience all of the beauty of God's goodness. That God was never limiting them either. That God is always with us, and everything God has has always been ours. That God is good. God is using our stories through God's generosity. God is surprising us day in and day out. And God is constantly compassionate along the way. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus. And those are the experiences of our lives. You're going to get back into those same groups with those people. And we're going to answer this question with one another. How can you remember and reflect this week on who God is? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.